Yama, I'm your host, Nairi Pakai, and welcome to NITV Radio for this Friday, 22nd of December. Coming up on today's show, we revisit Conversations on Country podcast series with proud Waramai elders, Auntie Lynn Davis and Auntie Janice Paulson. Share stories from growing up on the mid-north coast of New South Wales. And we share a story from NITV News from Summer Yarn Series. All these stories and more coming to you after the news weekly wrap-up on NITV Radio. Australia Day 1972 saw the first Aboriginal embassy directed outside Parliament. The native title legislation must be amended. And they've walked this land so many times before anybody came. I am sorry. New data suggests around 74,700 Indigenous people received support from specialist homelessness services in 2022 and 23. The Australian Institute of Health and Welfare has found in Victoria there was a record rate of First Nations people seeking help for homelessness. It comes as frontline homelessness services call for more support as they struggle to provide aid to a record number of people. A United Nations report has described practices used in Australian prisons as inhumane regarding, and in certain cases, even torturous. The scathing report into Australia's treatment of prisoners has been delivered by the UN despite initial attempts to block the inspection. A UN subcommittee on the prevention of torture tried to enter the country in October 2022, but they were forced to put uh, and push back their trip as they were denied access to several facilities in New South Wales and Queensland. According to the report, children had been handcuffed and shackled on a routine basis without consideration on whether such measures were necessary. Residents in far north Queensland town of Cooktown have welcomed people fleeing floodwaters in the Aboriginal community of Wadjil Wadjil. Two Australian Australian Defence Force Chinook helicopters have relocated around 200 people over two days after Wadjil Wadjil was devastated by flooding caused by ex-tropical cyclone Jasper. On one stage during the cyclone, Cooktown received almost 340 millimetres of rain in 24 hours, beating the previous December daily record mark of 195 millimetres set way back in 1907. Kylie Hanslaw is the Chief Executive of Wadjil Wadjil Community Shire Council. We need to look at where the available land is to build higher and to build better for community um, to get people back as quickly as possible. We need to have the ADF come in. We need to get the commitment that the ADF is going to come in um, and clear the roads and clean up and 
um, help us to rebuild, have those engineers in there and the assessors and help us to rebuild. We need that commitment. People affected by ex-tropical cyclone Jasper in North Queensland will be able to apply for government assistance. The disaster recovery payment is a one-off payment of $1,000 per eligible adult and $400 per eligible child who suffered a significant loss as a result of the floods. The local council areas eligible include Cairns, Cassowary Coast, Mariba, Tablelands and Wadjawadjil. Emergency Management Minister Murray Watt told ABC Income Assistance will also be available. What we know is that there are a lot of areas that are cut off at the moment as well and there'll be an income support payment available for people who can't get to work or can't get to their business of up to 13 weeks at the job seeker level. So that builds on the earlier assistance we've provided but they'll be available from 2pm today. A change in leadership for Northern Territory has been made official with former Treasurer Eva Lawler being sworn on Thursday. Ms Lawler was chosen unanimously by the Labor government following a caucus on Wednesday night. Former Chief Minister Natasha Files, who handed in her resignation on Monday after it was revealed she maintained undisclosed shares in a mining company, will move to the backbench. Ms Lawler says her main focus is on the citizens' well-being, the economy and the creation of more employment opportunities. I know that a change of leadership can be unsettling, especially at this time of the year, and I want to assure Territorians that my focus is only on you. My job is to make sure we continue to diversify and grow the Territory economy, create jobs and ensure a safe and prosperous Territory for us all. An out-of-control bushfire in Western Australia's Wheat Belt region is putting the lives and properties of people at risk. Emergency services have inc- issued warnings for parts of West Today, Kundal and Jilamar around 100 kilometres northwest of Perth. The Department of of fire and emergency services says five members of the firefighting crew suffered minor injuries after their truck tipped over. One of them, a male in his 40s, was taken to Northam Hospital to receive treatment. Earlier this week, New Zealand Prime Minister Christopher Luxon arrived in Sydney to meet Prime Minister Anthony Albanese and discuss the two countries' security and economic relationships. Prior to the trip, Mr Luxon said greater focus is needed on improving the business environment in both New Zealand and Australia. It's his first official visit to Australia since becoming Prime Minister, with talks expected to focus on regional security and cross-Tasman trade. Mr Luxon has paid tribute to the relationship between the countries. Uh, I am very pleased that the trans-Tasman bond remains as strong as ever. And it's been forged through that Anzac spirit on the beaches of Gallipoli, but more importantly by 80 years of diplomatic representation and, as the Prime Minister said, 40 years of our closer economic relationship. The federal government will invest around $500 million in protecting native wildlife as its efforts continue to combat the $30 billion wildlife trafficking industry. Federal Environment Minister Tanya 
Plibersek met with staff at Sydney's Taronga Zoo to discuss the ongoing investigations into wildlife trafficking. The Environment Minister says since stepping into the role, she has added dozens of new species to the endangered list, and she says the illegal trade is a key threat. This is one of the largest sources of income for criminals globally. It's about the fourth largest organised crime in the world. In our region, we believe around $30 billion a year of illegal wildlife trade by organised criminals. We've got to stamp it out, and that's why I'm very pleased that since May this year, we've seen eight operations. Uh, There are seven matters currently before the courts, and we've seen two people jailed. Housing advocates are warning the government and the opposition to avoid blaming an increase in migration for the housing crisis, which has persisted well before the recent influx. More than 40 housing, homelessness and community service organisations signed an open letter to Anthony Albanese and Peter Dutton, urging them to avoid using the migrant community as a scapegoat for the housing issue. Recent data from the Australian Bureau of Statistics reported that a record 518,000 people were added to Australia's population in 2022 to 2023 financial year due to overseas migration. Emma Greenhow is the CEO of National Shelter, an NGO aiming at improving housing access and affordability. She believes the impact of migrants on the housing crisis has been exaggerated by politicians. Attempting to avoid the inadequacy of past housing policies. We do think that it's been overstated. I think particularly when, you know, there were housing issues that occurred when the borders were closed, you know, during COVID. The main issue that we have is the fact that there is not enough housing and that was occurring during COVID. So, you know, I think what what we're seeing is, yes, there is an increase in migration, but our housing problems, you know, are not caused by migration. You know, they're adding, they might be adding an element of complexity to it, but they are not the cause of it. A road trauma support group says everyday mistakes behind the wheel can have fatal consequences after new research shows 2023 is Australia's deadliest year on roads since 2018. Data from the Australian Automobile Association shows more than 1,200 people have died on Australian roads in the last 12 months and every day over 100 people are hospitalised due to road incidences. The Amber Community, a support group for those impacted by road trauma, says road incidences can be caused by simple things like not paying enough attention. CEO Bernadette Nugent says people often assume crashes are caused by risky behaviour, like high speeds or drink driving, but everyone needs to be alert. I think that there is probably a lack of acknowledgement in the community about who is impacted by road trauma. There's a lot that's happening that is causing road trauma that are the normal everyday mistakes that people make that, you know, uh, is definitely contributing to the statistics as they are this year. The Australian Federal Police are urging Australians to take extra precaution on roads over the busy holiday period. 
The Victorian government has been given an ultimatum to either ensure hundreds of school cleaners keep the same pay and conditions or go to court. The United Workers' Union says it will launch proceedings against the government unless it directs incoming contractors Tradeflex and Serco to keep 700 Victorian cleaners on the same hours and conditions from the 15th of January. Outgoing company ISS has pulled out of a one-year extension of its contract in Melbourne's western and northeastern suburbs, leaving cleaners without a job just days before Christmas. The union says the new contractors won't start hiring cleaners to work until the 15th of January and will cut existing pay rates and hours, costing workers up to $11,000 a year. In a letter to Victoria's Education Minister, Ben Carroll, the union accuses the government of having been aware of, directed in and participated in contraventions of occupational health and safety laws and the Fair Work Act. A number of toys have been removed from store shelves in a pre-Christmas crackdown on dangerous items. Christmas ones, toys with buttons, batteries, and those with small, high-powered magnets are among items removed from sale. The New South Wales Fair Trading says investigators visited 975 retailers and one toy supplier to check on more than 17,000 products to ensure dangerous toys and decorations are taken off the shelves before Christmas. It said 69 products were found to be non-compliant or illegal in the clampdown. People selling non-compliant toys risk fines of up to $500,000, while corporations face penalties of up to $10 million. In football, Melbourne City striker has revealed he will not be part of Socceroos squad to take part in the 2023 Asian Cup in Qatar. The revelation comes as a surprise with McLaren featuring prominently for both club and country, scoring a hat-trick in Australia's recent 7-0 win over Bangladesh for the 2026 World Cup qualifiers. It comes after midfielder Massimo Luongo announced his resignation from the international football a day earlier, saying that he wants to focus on his efforts with his club in Ipswich. McLaren, who has scored 11 goals in 32 appearances with the Socceroos, has been vague on whether he will return to the national side. It's a decision that I've had to take. Um, not an easy one, but you know, when he does explain his reasons, then you, I don't think I'm a guaranteed selection in that Socceroos squad anyway. And you know, you saw recently Maslawongo retired, and um, who knows in the, in the next couple of months, um, maybe even discussions for myself. I, I don't really know, but yeah, I'm not really too focused on that. I'm, I'm not going to the Asian Cup, and we can just leave it at that. The announcement of the squad selection for the tournament, which is set to take place from January 12 to February 10, 2024, will be made on Friday. Also, Sydney FC's A-League women have issued a warning to their premiership rivals, Brisbane Raw, saying the reigning title winners are ready to strike again. Matilda's star, Courtney Vine, said the team is determined to win after a weekend draw with Penrith 
Glory, which ended in a goalless stalemate. The Sydney Sky Blues have endured a challenging start to the season on the road and postponed league matches due to AFC Women's Club Championship commitments. Sydney are sitting in fifth and have struggled to string consecutive wins with four of their last five matches since round one away. Raw will be equally determined to break a six-game winless streak their longest run without a victory in their history of the competition. And that is NITV Radio's news wrap-up of the week. Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Still to come on the show were my elders, Auntie Lynn Davis and Auntie Janice Paulson, share stories of home, change and country. But first, let's take a look at a story from NITV News Summer Series a Northern Territory school in Arionga community and Auntie Faye Carr from South East Queensland, Ipswich and her role in community. We return to a Northern Territory school that pioneered bilingual education and has celebrated its 50th birthday. The Arionga community, 240 kilometres west of Alice Springs, has a proud tradition of teaching its children how to walk in two worlds through language and culture. Nestled in the picturesque West Macdonald Ranges, more than 250 people call Arionga home. The community is celebrating one of its most revered institutions, the 50th anniversary of the school. Really, really happy to be celebrating it and happy that everyone's come here today. The Pichinjara language and English are taught in the primary school, a cultural education and community involvement also crucial to its success. The school really is the heart and soul of the community. We have people dropping in all the time, being engaged in their children's learning and really just as a a real central meeting place for the community. The celebrations mark the moment in 1973 Arionga became one of five schools to embrace bilingual education, a first for the Northern Territory, a proud tradition kept alive through decades of dedication by community teaching staff. In the 70s, my late husband set up the bilingual education. He told me the last word that I... I heard from him saying that, keep on teaching my language. Almost 40 students go to the school with attendance levels up around 70%. It really helps me and the other young people to get more education and learn. A community on the long road to learning and a school looking forward to the next 50 years. Michael Park, NITV News. Across generations, elders have played a fundamental role in empowering our communities, and this year we honoured them through the NADOC theme for our elders. One elder who has dedicated her life to establishing critical services for her people in Queensland's southeast is Auntie Faye Carr. For decades, she has served her community of Ipswich, 40 kilometres west of Brisbane, and she says that won't change for as long as she's still on earth. Auntie Faye Carr regularly visits this park, named in her honour, 
And when she does, she thinks about her elders and what they would say about her accomplishments. My mind always goes back to mum. She probably would have been proud of me. She'd be calling me big noter or something. <laughs> it's also where she enjoys spending time with her 74 grandchildren and great-grandchildren. We try and get here as much as we can, but and um, all the kids love it, you know. Biggest mob comes. All bring a lot of food. <laughs> Sit here and eat all day. Auntie Faye was born in 1946, the second of 14 siblings. Raised by her mother Doris, a Yuggera woman, and father Walter on Deebing Creek Mission. On her 14th birthday, she was taken from her school and put into Nudgee Orphanage. That experience shaped her life's work helping establish essential services in the community. We'd be sitting in these big offices and, you know, to make sure that we got all these legal services and medical centres and housing and, you know, for our people. In her later years, Auntie Faye would visit local jails and youth detention centres, compelled to offer support to those inside. But I never ever forget them, you know, still, still worry about them now, like they're my own. At the 2017 NAIDOC Awards, she was recognised for her dedication to uplifting the community, sharing the moment on stage with her son. Pay acknowledgement to our elders sitting in the room here tonight, especially my, my elder, Elder of the Year. It's the accolade she holds dearest, alongside the key to the city of Ipswich and the honour of having a park named after her. I couldn't believe it. I thought, you know, why all this? I only start crying already. You know, I just do what I have to do. I didn't think anyone took any notice of me, you know. An elder worth celebrating for a life dedicated to serving her community. Tanisha Williams, NITV News. Welcome back. I'm your host, Nari Pakai, and you're listening to NITV Radio. Up next, Arnie Lynn Davis and Arnie Janice Paulson discuss their connection to country and their memories growing up on Toowoomba Mission in Four Star on Warramag Country. In the first episode of Conversations on Country podcast series, proud Warramai elders uh, share stories from growing up in mid-north coast New South Wales before their community was uprooted. Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people are warned that the following recordings may contain the sounds and voices of deceased persons. Conversations on Country is a series of diverse stories of place and being of the Gumbangir, Dangati, Biripai and Waramai nations. Our storytellers for this episode are proud Waramai women, Auntie Lynn Davis and Auntie Janice Paulson. First and foremost, I would like to pay my respects to the elders, past, present and future, the traditional custodians of the sacred land that we're gathered on here today, home of the Waramai people, 
of the Katang speaking nations. So Gujiyigu, Nuriyigu, Maralabaragu, Ibarababarai, Ibatangubabarai, Katay Nuran. So welcome. You have come here. This is our country. This is my country. This is my father's country. Waramai, Waramai, Guba, Barai. And I'll just do a blessing now with the water. So I'm just going to get with these nuts on the sprinkle of We come from up the lake, from Kumba George, my great grandfather. He owns most of us down here. Him and uh, Amelia Slater. Our, our river flows all the way up to Coomba Park and, you know, entwines with the Mile Lakes and Smith's Lake and um, Wallace. They all join in together and, you know, and then we get the water that's coming down from the mountains and, yeah, from Gloucester and, you know, it's part of Warramile country too and um, Biripai country. So we're all linked in together in this one big happy family. We were all very poor. So they're the third, third lot of houses. They're the ones we were reared up in were the ones that our fathers built. And some, my mum and dad lived in a tent, a railway tent before I was born. Mm. So they only had my eldest sister Maureen and my brother Will, William. Yeah. And um, yeah, and then one day they decided to come along and just, with no consultation, decided to knock the houses down and they were building housing commission ones up here. Yeah. So, and they were, well, they were all exactly the same. Yeah. You know, so they're the third lot of houses there. But, you know, we had a good life. It was all about caring a ship. And everybody on that reserve, they all had um, fruit trees, vegetable gardens. You know, some of the men did the fishing. Yeah, and it was all shared out all over. So we were self-sufficient. You know, they talk about Aboriginal people being self-sufficient, but we were self-sufficient. Would you like to say anything, Annie Jens? Grandfather had a great big garden, probably about a half an acre, and it had, um, summertime it had, you know, lettuce, tomatoes, cucumbers. Uncle Jack had honey, um, and, you know, we didn't want for anything, and they were big. They were great fishermen, weren't they? Great fishermen. It was funny, but when they they come home with dewfish, great dewfish, I mean, they were really, those dewfish must have been about a metre long. And they'd come home with them over their shoulder, throw them on the ground. But later on, a couple of days later, us kids had fun with the scales. We'd get those scales and we'd stick them on our fingers with the Perkins paste and cut them into shape. So we reckon we made the first false fingernails. And at weekends, we'd go out to Pebbly Beach. And the whole families went out there, only some of us, someone would collect some wood or something. We'd make some Johnny cakes and that on the fire, cook damper under the coals and, yeah, and go and get some periwinkles and conkles and mutton fish, yeah, or abalone, whatever. And if the men were lucky enough to get, um, you know, um, fish, we'd cook them on the coals whole. You've never tasted fish until you've cooked them whole on the coals. We cook them on the coal. They cook in their own juices and just peel the skin off and cooked in their skin whole. It's just, you know, mouth-watering, juice, beautiful. Thing. 
That's what it was all about down here, where we lived down here on Top Bobber. You know, it was all about caring and sharing and looking after each other. And they did that, you know. We grew up, you know, I grew up being loved and nurtured, you know, by all by my mum and dad and my, my grandparents, yeah, my aunties and uncles. And, you know, we had a... Even though we were under the Aboriginal Protection Board yeah. and then it went to the Welfare Board. And this is the difference between Foster and Perfleet, I think, because they had a mission manager who lived on Sunrise Station. It was then, wasn't it? And he was the one that used to come out to Foster to hand out rations and things like that. And he'd come out here every so often and hand out stuff to us. And I remember my grandmother saying, go and stay in that room, you kids, and be quiet. Don't make a sound, you know. And um, so we'd go in the room and be quiet. But we did, they didn't have the freedom in Perfleet that we had. I don't know. It's a, it's a big story, and I'm getting a bit emotional here because, you know, we had a good life. We did. Until they, till they took us out of those little houses that we had. And made us go to somewhere we didn't want to go. You know, they, they wanted us to live like white people. And, you know, I think that broke the spirit of a lot of people. Because I remember Uncle Sid, you know, he lived in his house. And at, he was at the front of the house and they were knocking his house down the back. You know, I think we missed out a lot. You know, we missed out on our language because that was taken. They weren't allowed to talk, weren't allowed to speak the language. And we're just getting that back now, our Gatung language. We were fringe dwellers. We were on the outskirts of town. The town grew up around us. Now we're right slap bang in the middle of town. Um, there's a hospital on the ground where where we used to play. And our our grandfathers and our our uncles, like Lynn's um, father and his brothers, they they uh, formed a football team. They um, were um, you know the first black black hawks team here and there was a lot of um, racism and prejudice and against them and um, they had the natural natural athleticism and um, and they won two premierships in a row. Well the attitudes changed eh? We lived at Tuncurry for a while. My father used to work at the sawmill over there. He was a Bunjalung man my father he was a proud man too but he worked up at Wallace Island for a while too but um, when we lived at Tuncurry he was in the sawmill over there and, um, yeah, that was like an Italian community. There was, you know, lots of Italians over there. Bassanis. <laughs> Bassanis, Amatas, Basiglis, Sarkas. And, and, like, th- there was no racism or anything like that there then. And um, everyone shared there too. And um, we're all still friends today. And it's funny because my great-grandkids are friends with their kids today. And my great-grandson, he says, Men, Chase's pop knows you. He said he went to school with you. <laughs> Welcome back. You're listening to NITV Radio. Next up, we have part two of Conversations on Country with Arnie Lynn Davis and Arnie Janice Paulson. The only jobs around in Foster for for um, for blackfellas was cleaning. I started cleaning at the bowling club. 
And I remember they said, Janice, do you want to try to polish the floor at the bowling club? It was a wooden polished floor. Well, I got onto that polish and it really swung me. (laughs) 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 And then I was cleaning flats. I was cleaning crystal waters down opposite the little baths there. And um, Pam and I would be cleaning um, every weekend. That's how we earn our money. Or we'd go... um, we go picking blackberries or blackberries. We pick bowls of blackberries mm. and and mushrooms. And um, I saw the biggest bunch of beautiful blackberries. And I walked in there real deadly. And there was a wasp nest in there because wasps are not like bees sting you once. They just go whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And I was like, oh, sugar. So, uh, yeah, the wasp got me. And um, <laughs> As we got older, you know, we wanted to go... Life wasn't any good any for us. We had to. We all went to Sydney at an early age. You know, I met a lot of a lot of beautiful friends. A lot of my own people. Like we were all friends. We were all the same age, and we we congregated down there at the Empress. Lived in Redfern. <laughs> it was a different time and place then. Yeah. There was no drugs. We'd walk them streets. We'd go from one pub down to the next one to the dance. Then we'd go down to Alexandria to another place. Then the Foundation. Foundation for Aboriginal Affairs. We'd go down there to Broadway. You know, I know, look, Gary Foley and the Munros and the Coes and, you know, the Gary Williams and Desi Williams, knew all them fellas. You know, I marched in the lawns at Old Parliament House in 1972 Mm. with all the demonstrators down there about the Aboriginal Embassy. So one night when I was going to Sydney, I met my husband. Now, he was talking to my brother, Willie, about the football. Anyway, we got on the train... And we talked for a while till he got to Broadmeadow. He was on the signal box down there, Broadmeadow. So we said we parted ways then. Next minute he comes down to Redfern looking for me at the Empress Hotel. And the rest is history. We had four kids. (laughs) Yeah, so, yeah, it's all about, you know, I treasured my life with my, you know, living on the reserve and I keep telling my kids about and I keep telling to my son, my eldest boy, he's 43 now. And I, every time he says something, I say, I keep telling him, and he say, oh, you're not going to tell us that. You're gonna he said, Mum, we've heard this before. I said, well, I'm going to keep telling it to you, son. I said, you know, I had a good life. I had a beautiful life with my beautiful mum and dad and my grandparents. You know, and if he, they were here today, you would have loved them, and they would have loved you. But you know, it was all—it's all about country and being together, and all that loving and nurturing, and yeah. On our reserve here, we had community dues too, like we had on Empire Nights, <clears throat> which was the twenty-fifth of May. You know, we'd all come up here and grab a grab a piece of bush or take it down there to or an old tyre and that, and we'd put it in the middle of the flat and build a great big bonfire for the whole whole community. And everyone had their own crackers and bungers and little Tom Thumbs and sky rockets. And, but it was a time when the whole community got together and yeah. had a really, you know, good gathering and yeah. and sky rockets, you know, and, and seeing how high they could go and, ooh, uh, ooh and ah and oh and oh, you know, do that's pretty. And everyone's got this rotten technology today, and they're stuck in their rooms, and they're, yeah. you know, they're all separated from, by technology today. And 
When I walk outside, you know what I do? What do I look at? What do you think that I look at first when I walk outside? Yeah, the sky. I go straight out and I look straight up and I look all around like this and I say to my grandkids, oh, what's it, what's it like tonight? Is it going to be a good night or is it going to rain or the stars out? Is the moon out? Mm. Oh, we don't know, Nan. That's what I do, Lynn. I said, don't just look up to the sky. I said, don't just look up at the stars all shining around and that big full moon that comes up over there. That's beautiful. I said, we used to dan- jump up and down to that. Mum said, Mum said, now there's a big full moon tonight. You have to go out and you have to jump up and down and say, yeah, yeah, wah, wah, and you'll grow tall. So that's what we did. Well, I did. <laughs> oh, gee. You know, those special things, that you know, that we've got from our parents and our, you know, our dads and grandfathers, they were big, tall, proud Warramai men, you know, and they were hard workers, you know, and yet some of them weren't even allowed to go into a into a pub without that certificate of exemption, oh, you yeah. know. That's one of the things that made me sad about Anzac Day yeah. because when our soldiers came back from the war, Uncle Bob and Uncle Toe came home here in Foster, their mates were here, I remember Uncle Toke and Uncle Bob, they um, they wanted to go into the pub and the RSL to have a beer with their mates and their mates wanted them to go, mm. but they wasn't allowed in the pub and, oh, hell. And I was so angry and hurt when, you know, you, know, you grow up and you mm. think, why the hell wasn't they allowed in? They fought the war just as much. They were in the front line, some of them, some of those soldiers, mm. and they wasn't allowed to go into the pub or the club when they came back. And, I, you know, every Anzac Day I'd see my mother crying. Yeah, so I, I sort of lost that respect for RSL clubs. Yeah, anyway. So we, we, we've, I think we've had a blessed, blessed life, you know. We yeah, we've got all our beautiful friends and all of our beautiful families and kids, grandkids, great-grannies and... You know, and you've got to treasure, we treasure it. Well, I treasure my life every day, you know. I say that, you know, I know there's a lot of drink around now and there's a lot of drugs and we've got a lot of problems, you know. I've got problems with my grandkids and, you know, no matter what I say to them, they're not listening to me. And that makes me really sad, you know. I wouldn't like to see it. It would probably kill me if something happened to them. But, you know, we just got to, we just do, do the best we can and, you know, get on with our lives and at least we can sit back and have a good old laugh at the times that we had and share those memories with everybody. Conversations on Country is proudly brought to you by SBS and Saltwater Freshwater Arts Alliance and was recorded on Gumbangir, Dangati, Biripai and Warramai land. To listen back or continue more episodes of Conversations on Country podcast, you can find that and more on SBS Audio app. And that's all we have time for today's program. You can listen back to the program anytime online or catch any of the stories on our website at sbs.com.au. NITV Radio will be back next week with more stories from right across the country. Thanks so much for listening and have a great weekend.